Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf, episode 134. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Purcell. Thanks so much for joining us. Whether this is your rookie voyage or you're a frequent flyer here on Golf Better Airlines, either way, we're glad you're with us. And another special guest joining us this week, he is a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, has over 50 career wins on the PGA Tour, another 10 or so more on the Champions Tour, three major championships, including the 1966 U.S. Open at the Olympic Club. Incidentally, this year is the 46th anniversary of that historic win. And he is in one of our newest locations, Edwin Watts Golf Uinta in Salt Lake City. Who else could I be talking about but the wonderful Mr. Billy Casper. Mr. Casper, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Tom. Uh, let's, uh, I wanted, there's so much to talk about. I want to talk about the Open in your book, but let's, let's turn the clock back, way, way back, if you don't mind, the early years. Sometimes the psychologists and all will say that you're, most people are products of their upbringing. If you're brought up a certain way, you're going to end up that way. And I've read that yours was quite opposite I, I believe if i'm if i can say the word broken home you grew up that way and you've turned into the ultimate family man 11 children and mission work and all could, could you share a little bit about that with us well you know i uh, i grew up in uh, silver city new mexico uh, that was the roots of roots of the casper family uh, all my dad and was born there and all his brothers and sisters which were six and uh I struck my first golf ball on my grandfather's ranch. Uh, my uncle Ur, Virgil and my dad built three holes in the cow pastures in which they got rid of the predominant red ant in the in the southwest uh, that brought uh, sand and gravel out of the out of the ground and made mounds and uh, they took those mounds and leveled them out and they made tees and greens and after they finished work on my grandfather's ranch, we'd go play three holes out in the cow pastures. And that's where it all started. And as far as mission work, didn't Claude Harmon introduce you to some of that in Morocco, I believe, in the, in the 60s? Well, you know, uh, in 69, uh, Claude recommended. I was one of several players he recommended to the king of Morocco that he thought the king might enjoy playing golf with. And... Uh, I had no protocol or anything uh and how to to address a king, you know, and so when I was introduced to him uh he said good morning your highness and that's not even a member of the royal family <laughs> and I knew I had blew it blown it because he sort of raised up a little bit. I quickly caught him and I said your Majesty, what a great honor it is for me to be in your country, to have an opportunity to get to know your people and to see your country. Uh, I'm just thrilled to be here and to play golf with you. And that was a long relationship as well, correct? Yeah, and, and we played golf, and right after we finished, he called forth his consulate general who was in, in uh, New York, and he said to him, I want you to take my airplane and you take Mr. Casper here, 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 and bring him back. <laughs> he literally took me up on what I said. And I traveled all over Morocco. My wife and I traveled all over Morocco and became really acquainted with Morocco and his government officials in each one of the cities. It was an unbelievable experience. And our relationship was such that he, he invited me back six times the first year. 
Oh, my. Let's go back, Billy, a little bit before that. I believe you turned pro in 54. Um, at, at that time, you know, you're pulling a trailer around the country, and, and Arnold, you know, went one route as far as with Mark McCormick and all that, and, and Jack as well, a little bit later on. But you, you kind of took a different route, didn't you? Well, what happened was uh, I was in the Navy from 51 to 54. I turned professional in 54 because of two reasons. Number one, uh, everyone was going to have to pay greens fees in San Diego, even a seaman. And uh, two, uh, I decided to turn pro because of that so that I didn't have to pay greens fees. And the other was our first child was coming on. And uh, so those were the two reasons I turned professional. And I was still in the Navy, and fortunately I had built up a lot of leave, crewed a lot of leave, and they allowed me to, to play in sectional tournaments, and I wound up winning in 14 months about $2,000. It was really a great amount of money because I only made fifty four fifty every two weeks in the Navy, and my wife worked. And uh, for, for those today, that's that's fifty four dollars and fifty cents for today's world, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my wife made more money when she worked in the, uh, than I did. When you turned pro, I believe you had some backers at the club or somewhere, right. and you wrote, the, right. wrote it on a napkin, and you gave them like 30% of the gross or something like that, right. and then you finally my, ended that. My, huh? uh, when I was in the Navy, uh, one of my close friends was a fellow by the name of Don Collette, and uh, he was the chief petty officer, and he arranged for two businessmen to finance me, and the contract was written up on a on a napkin, and... Uh, I uh, all the money they advanced me, I paid them back, and then I had to pay them thirty percent of what I won. And and at the end of three years, uh, they had gotten all their money back plus thirty percent. I owned a little house. I owned a nineteen fifty seven Cadillac, and uh, I had five thousand dollars in the bank. Well, it didn't take long once you got going. You won the Open in fifty nine. So you were no stranger to winning once in tournaments. Let's talk about sixty six, because I'm sure. Everybody's asking a lot of questions about 66. Talk about how you felt going into the Olympic Club and your chances that week. Well, you know, uh, I played a practice round at uh, in 59 at Wingfoot, and I came back and I was staying with friends that uh, were in the Navy with me, and I said, you know, if ever I win the Open, it will be here at Wingfoot. And so I felt good about playing Wingfoot. And uh, I made one decision which was a decision that affected my life from that point on where I laid up on the third hole at Wingfoot, a 215-yard par par three with a five and a six iron and pitched at the green. There was no water or anything, but I just did that, and that decision just changed my life tremendously the rest of my life. But as I went into to Olympic Club, I felt the same way. I had played a practice round on Monday and I felt very good about the golf course. I liked the golf course, and uh, I was ready to play. I'd been playing good. Uh, I had visited the troops in Vietnam in the early part of 66, and uh, that uh, meant a lot to me. Uh, I had become a, ch- a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on the 1st of January of 66. And so... A lot of interesting things was, were happening in my life. Yeah, a lot of life-changing things. Yeah, and a lot of life-changing things. 
And, uh, you know, I started off and shot 69, followed by 68, 137, and Arnold Palmer shot 71, 66, 137. Both of us had 137, and uh meant we were paired together in the third round. He shot 70, and I shot 73. I was a scratchy 73. It was... And he had a three-shot lead. And again, we were paired together the final round. And the end of nine holes, he had shot 32, and I had shot 36. He now had swelled the lead to seven shots. So you're on you're on 10-T, and you're down seven to Arnold Palmer, who is, at the time, you know, the Army and everything else. I, I, did you say something to him on the tee? Well, he's flying, you know. Yeah. He's really flying. Uh, I think he didn't think he could lose the tournament. And so he changed his goal, or he he added another goal to his to his uh, to challenge him, and that was to break Hogan's seventy-two hole record. Well, I had looked and and checked the scoreboard, and I found I was two shots ahead of uh, Jack Nicklaus and the late Tony Lima, and so I wanted to to finish second, and I said so to him, and he said, "I'll do everything to help you." <laughs> So Nicholas and Champagne Tony are, are are right behind you, right? And, behind and Arnold's right. going for that seventy-two hole record. So he starts, I guess, starts playing Arnold Palmer golf. Yeah, and you know, I I decided that I was going to make pars and birdie the back nine. You know, sort of put on a Palmer charge. <laughs> Arnold lost a shot at ten. We both fired eleven. We both birdied twelve. He, we're going along according to our plan. Then he bogeyed 13, which was a three-par. And then he hit a putt at 14. It went in the hole from about 15 feet, spun out, and hung on the lip. He's still okay. I'm okay. I've got a birdie. And that's after 14. Yeah, that's after 14. He still has a five-shot lead, you know. Nothing to worry about. And then at 15, he went for the flag, which was positioned in the sort of the right side of the green, and his ball was in the bunker, and he short-sighted himself. I had played an eight iron about 25, 30 feet beyond the hole and hold the putt as he came out of the trap uh, beyond the hole about 15 feet. Putted and missed. Now two more shots were gone. Now he was only three shots ahead with three holes to play. First time I on the back nine thought I could win the tournament. First time I think he thought that he could lose the tournament. And it's this. Then at 16 I drove in the center of the fairway five par long five par and he hit it left to left i'd never swing seen him swing the club like that before got over it with his right shoulder and he hit it left it hit a tree bounced down in the heavy rough he gambled with a three iron he moved it about 40 yards into some heavier rough and he had to hit a lofted club to get it back in the fairway and i haven't even played my second shot yet So I played a two-iron to keep it in the fairway. He hit a tremendous wood into the bunker just short of the green. Uh, He hit it probably about 255, 260, and he needed another 10 yards. And I thought to myself as I selected a five-iron from about 165 yards, if I can get this on the green close to the hole, score a four, he comes out of the trap and two putts, that's seven, we're all even. Well, I hit a five iron about 14 feet to the left of the hole and just short. Came out of the trap with a wonderful wedge shot about two feet. Got his six. Tremendous six. And I hold the putt and two more shots were gone. And then at the, the 17th hole, I drove it 
well to the right, and I got out of the the heavy rough between the edge of the the fairway and the, and the the ropes into the area where the people had walked, and they'd walked all the grass out off the off of the 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 dirt, and it was in bare dirt. And Arnold made another bad swing, hit it left in the heavy rough, and then hit it about 60 yards short of the green in the rough, and. I hit it on the left edge of the green, just in the edge of the rough, and he pitched to about 10 feet short, and I chipped about three feet above the hole. He left his putt short, and I hold the putt. At eight holes, I picked up the seven shots. And the 18th hole, short par four, I drove the ball, and first time I'd driven it all week, and I got it in the fairway. He hit a one-iron, and the two previous rounds he'd hit a driver, and he hit it left to left in the heavy rough, and then he hit one of the greatest shots I've ever seen and onto the back edge of the green, and I hit it about 15 feet. He putted it down and uh, had about a three-and-a-half-footer, and, a half footer, and he, he, we were playing the continuous putt rule that year, and he says, you want me to mark it, Cass? And I said, no, Arnold, you're warm. Just knock it in, and he did. And I just sort of lagged it down from about 15 feet, about six inches, and tapped it in. He shot 32, 39, 71. 71 in the last round of the Open usually won the Open. <laughs> normally does. It normally does. It just happened that I shot 36, 32, three birdies and six pars a back nine. I accomplished what I wanted to do, but he didn't accomplish what he wanted to do, and it meant there was an 18-0 playoff the next day. I think your manager, Bob Merritt, was telling me that I guess you went back to uh, 16 at one time where Palmer hit it left to the spot, and they asked you, what what would you hit from here? And you said, I wouldn't be here. Right. That's right. right. And they said, no, what would you hit if you hit it here, Billy? Because you said emphatically, I wouldn't be here because I hit hit a straight club, right? You got it, man. (laughs) You got to have a go-to club if you've got got a lead like that, and your club would have been, what, was it two-iron? Well, uh, yes, I I hit the two-iron from the center of the fairway, and I had probably, oh, I'd say 320 yards left, and I was just making sure that was my straight club, and I just hit it right down the center of the fairway, and knocked it on the green with the five iron and hold the putt. <laughs> what gets lost in this a little bit is the playoff itself. So you got to come back Monday, play 18 holes, you and Palmer, and you right. get down again and have to come back again. Talk, just share a synopsis of that with us. Well, what happened is he birdied the fourth hole, and I three-putted nine. He had a two-shot lead going to 11. We both drove it in the fairway. He was just a little further than I off the tee, and I hit a three iron. It hit just off the left front, bounced to the right, got on the green about 35 feet from the hole. He had a four iron that was a little further left than my second, where where my second shot hit, and he stayed in the rough. And the the green sloped heavy from left to right toward Lake Merced, and. He pitched the ball, and the ball went about 15 feet to the right of hole, maybe 18 feet. And I had this 35-foot putt with about a 10-foot break to the right, and I hit it, and it went square in the middle of the hole. Then he putted and missed, and his two-shot lead was gone. And if you look at the if the cover of the book, you can see who the people were that were rooting for me and who the people were that were rooting for Arnold. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
We both parred 12, and then 13, I hold another big putt for a birdie to go one shot ahead, and I picked up a shot on uh, 14, 15, and 16. To yeah, go he, he bogeyed 14 and 15, right? Excuse me? I said, Arnie bogeyed 14 and 15. You go yeah, three up, and right? And then double bogeyed 16. Oh, boy. And uh, I birdied the last hole for 69 and, and won by four shots. Let me take one quick step back because you mentioned a minute ago on, on number nine, the 81st hole of the golf tournament, U.S. Open conditions, that was your first three-putt of the week. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's talk about the book, Billy. Your book, your book is out, The Big Three and Me. How did it yes. come about? Well, you know, uh, we wanted uh, – I've been wanting for a number of years to get a book out because I think there's so much in the book that can be uh, uplifting to people. Young people as well as middle-aged people, older people, things that could really mean a lot in their life. And I I really feel that, you know, to go from literally nothing in one's life where you didn't have parental guidance and things uh, and make something of yourself, it's it's quite a story. And it's, uh, it's amazing how many people say the same thing to me. I experience that same way of life, you know, and it's uplifting to them that they can they can relate, and uh, it's 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 a special book. Yeah, and you can find that book uh, on BillyCasper.com, correct? Right, uh, it's the big three, Billy Casper, the big three, and me. dot com, and. Uh, Barnes and Noble uh, have it. Uh, you can get it on uh, Amazon. Uh, there's a lot of places you can you can get the book. Hey, just a little thing about the title, "The Big Three and Me." From '64 to '70, you had 27 wins. That's more than any of than Jack Arney or or Gary Player had. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my writer Lee Benson is a, really loves statistics, and he came up with statistics that. You know, I I just went out and played every week. You know, I wanted to make enough money for my family. My family, was, I had three at the, originally, and then we wound up adopting six when my wife was told she couldn't have more children. And then after 16 years, we had two more. So we have a total of 11 children, and, and uh, I just wanted to make enough money to make them have a good life, you know, and... And I never paid any attention about tournament wins or or, uh, or how much, you know, recognition I was receiving. I just went out and I wanted to make a nice check every week, and that was my goal. Well, Billy, I know you have some fans waiting there for you. You're signing some books at our store at Edwin Watts Golf, Salt Lake City. Edwin Watts, you went to in Salt Lake right. City. F- final thoughts for, for our listeners? Well, we just appreciate an opportunity to visit with you, Tom, and and uh, thank you for your support in the game of golf for everyone all over the country. It's it's such a great game that teaches man so many principles of life. And uh, I just feel very grateful for the opportunity to uh, have had a career such as I've had. And uh, anything I have, I'd like to share with my fellow man. Well, it's great to have you on. How about a U.S. Open prediction? Anything uh, anything on the top well, of your head? For I next think w- that's so hard to predict. <laughs> you know, there's so many fine young players today. I think it's, 
it's a type of golf course that requires a lot of uh, knowledge and and being able to control control you know the pressure that you experience in the US Open I feel that maybe one of the seasoned professionals will have a chance I'm hoping it would be say Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods Well Billy we want to thank you again for joining us taking time out of of your schedule and uh Thanks from all of us here, all our listeners at Edwin Watts Golf, and I've been told that down the road there may be a few more store appearances for you at some of the Edwin Watts Golf stores around the country. So thanks so much again for joining Thank us you. and enjoy, enjoy the fans. Thank, Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Without a doubt, one of the absolute true gentlemen of the game, Hall of Famer, Mr. Billy Casper. Again, the book is The Big Three and Me. You can find it at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and, of course, at BillyCasper.com. Well, thanks again to Billy Casper for joining us. For you, our listeners, for listening in, and we'll do it again next time. We have another episode of Golf Better at EdwinWattsGolf.com. So long, everyone.